Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, September 24th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. We asked the mayor what was behind City Council's decision this week to add a city bylaw to the province's newly announced vaccine exemption program. Next, we look at research into non-traditional forms of treating mental illness, and they've shown a lot of promise. We hear details on the new study focusing on psychedelic pharmaceuticals. Then we head stateside for our weekly catch-up with Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief with Global News. We get the latest on the COVID-19 situation in the U.S. and take a look at President Joe Biden's not-so-positive current approval rating. And finally, it's a collaboration between two of Calgary's most popular annual events. Why Beakerhead has joined forces with the Calgary International Film Festival and the spectacular visual art display the two have planned for this weekend. Well, from the vaccine exemption program to the new provincial health minister and more, lots to talk about with Calgary Mayor Nahed Nenshi. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning. I'm sorry. I thought I was on as certified Calgary pizza expert today. Well, that is going to be our first question. So you may pull (laughs) out that hat and that business card. What is the most important ingredient for a perfect pizza, sir? Oh, it's got to be the sauce and the level of spice. Now, here's how good I am at segueing. Ready? (laughs) Yesterday, I got myself into a very big conversation about Calgary's best pizza based on the fact that a place that I really quite like has announced that they will not follow the bylaw mm-hmm. that we passed. So no more going there mm-hmm. until they come to their senses. And so I was giving people, uh, especially a newcomer to Calgary, lists of the best pizza in Calgary. Yeah, I would tell you, he's full service, this man. I, you he's really gonna, are. Like, there's, Is there do, anything that you will not help people with? If it has to do with food, I'm pretty encyclopedic. (laughs) And I'm excited that you're giving away from Tom's. Because one thing I love is classic Calgary-style Greek pizza. Mm -hmm. And Tom's, Nick's, uh, Capri are the three best places in town for that, as far as I'm concerned. But for those who are not in the know, many of the small neighborhood pizza uh, places in Calgary nowadays are owned by Lebanese or Punjabi families. Mm-hmm. And sometimes on the menu, sometimes off the menu, they will always have a Punjabi-style tandoori chicken pizza. Ooh. It's the best. Okay. Now that we're starving. All right, good. Thanks good tip, that. good tip. Um, and I agree with you on the sauce, so we've got that in common for sure. Let's uh, Well, let's talk a little politics. Let's talk uh, the city business and, and the decision to reinforce the province's vaccine exemption program, to get council back together, to look at this, to make a vote on this. Uh, Tell us how that came together. Well, ultimately, businesses and citizens, uh, recreation facility operators, sports associations were really upset uh, with the province's confusing and contradictory uh, decision uh, or announcement last Wednesday. And they were feeling it. You know, parents and patrons were yelling at them saying, well, you had a choice. But if you're a restaurant or a bar, you didn't really have a choice. Your choice was adopt the ridiculously named restrictions exemption program or close and open only for patios, um, takeout and delivery. And so they were saying, look, you got to make it more clear. You got to build a level playing field. You got to use language people understand. So the city passed the vaccine exemption bylaw, which simply means that if you're over the age of 12, you need to be vaccinated or show proof of a recent test result to enter restaurants, pubs, bars, recreation facilities, casinos, movie theaters, and another list of things, which is the same as the province of West. 
You know what? That was easy to say. I don't know why the Premier had so much trouble saying it in creating their really bizarre program. Uh, so ultimately, we wanted to bring that clarity. And, you know, within a minute of passing the bylaw, my phone was blowing up with texts from restaurant owners saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. This We really needed this. So I'm happy to be able to be helpful. And give it a little more teeth, too, in terms of bylaw being able to step in and, and put out, uh, give out fines? That's right. One of the challenges that we've had with the provincial government throughout the pandemic is they keep forgetting their, their regulations are not well written. Uh, right now, the actual regulation before us says that you have to be two meters apart from every other person at all times, and that you're allowed to have a cohort of up to 10 people from two households who can be in a house. However, no social gatherings are allowed indoors or outdoors. What? <laughs> Except if it's a wedding or a funeral at three o'clock on a Tuesday. So the thing makes no sense. But what they always forget about is that we actually have to enforce it. The AHS health inspectors can't enforce everything. And they keep taking away the city's ability to use our bylaw officers and our transit officers to enforce some of these rules. So now that it's a city bylaw, the enforcement is much more clear and mm-hmm. the city does have the right to enforce. Mr. Mayor, can you stick around for two more minutes with us? I sure can. Good stuff. We are back with Mayor Nahed Nenshi. And Mr. Mayor, this is a question we get from a lot of texters. And frankly, we have the same question. Why is it that employees don't have to be vaxxed when a business, for example, a restaurant, would have to follow the vaccine exemption program? How does that work? I do have an answer, but it's not a very good one. So answer number one is because that's what the province's rules say. And we were trying to not change the province's rules too, too much. I wanted to. I wanted to put in places of worship um, and wellness Mm -hmm. services like hairstylists. But as we went through what the city's powers and authorities were, we thought, you know, we shouldn't step too far out of what the province is saying. The reason, near as I can tell, because, of course, the province has applied no rationale for any of it, but near as I can tell, it has to do with employment law. that You can't deprive someone of their job uh, based on this because going to a restaurant is a choice. Going to work is not a choice. All of that said... I think it's uh, it's a pretty small distinction because ultimately, who is going to want to work at a place where they cannot actually go? You know, I don't want to work in a restaurant I can't eat in. And I imagine that most people uh, who are employees will still be impacted by the vaccine um, passport in their daily lives and will end up getting vaccinated anyway. I'm wondering, you know, when it comes to, to the enforcement piece of those areas that are under this umbrella, you know, that was decided upon by the city, is this something that is has to be reported or will there be kind of random checks on these businesses that should be accepting the vaccine exemption uh, uh, cards? Our, uh, our bylaws are always enforced on a complaint basis, and we always like to educate before ticketing. However, uh, I've made it pretty clear that we've been in this for a long time. The time for education is pretty much over. And so if you are seeing people who are uh, violating the rules uh, and putting you at risk, call 311. Absolutely call 311 or use the 311 app. The volumes on the phone are really high right now. Call in the evening or use the app. And if you're dumb enough as a business to advertise on social media that you're not following the rules, well, you can probably expect a visit from some of my colleagues. I love it. Uh, Why also, this is a text, uh, why are some businesses exempt altogether, like personal services, hair salons, nail salons from the vaccine exemption program? Yeah, good question for the province. That was the one piece that I was, you know, kind of irritated about because... I went to get a haircut and it was, I felt super safe before the program. But at the same time, 
a lot of people are nervous to go. And if there was a vaccine passport, they'd be more willing to go because that's really the critical thing here. There's two goals here. One is hopefully it will increase the level of vaccination. But the other is the reason businesses were asking for this is because they feel like their customers will come back if they're comfortable that the person at the next table or in the next chair is also vaccinated. And so this really is about building up their business. So I really don't know why uh, the province exempted those services. I would have really preferred to put them in. And I finally was talked out of it saying that we didn't have the legal basis since the province exempted them. Mr. Mayor, you helped us out with, uh, you know, some suggestions for your favorite pie and your favorite topping. So we're going to help you out and let you know. Uh, because you're not an employee of Chorus. Uh, I believe you have no ties to the radio station whatsoever. Um, I do not. <laughs> you have a chance to win in the next half hour. Another what? chance to win. Yeah. Tom's House of Pizza I'll... gift cards. <clears throat> I'm in. <laughs> I thought you would <laughs> Keep be. listening. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> stay safe and, and have a great weekend. Thank you. Stay safe, everybody. I know these are tough times. I know it's really frustrating. But we need to put that all in a drawer. We need to be kind to one another. And the important thing I need to say is I want to draft everybody. If you have friends or family that are not vaccinated, help them get over that hump. Tell them your vaccination story. Drive them to the appointment. Hold their hand. And if you yourself have been hesitating, do it today. Get it in place. And then you won't have to worry about anything going forward. Good stuff. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Mayor Nahed Nenchi. New research into the application of psychedelic drugs has shown promise in treating a variety of mental illnesses. Joining us to explain more about psychedelic therapy is Ronan Levy, executive chairman of Field Trip Health. Good morning to you, Ronan. Good morning. Uh, thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, let's begin with the definition. What, what is psychedelic therapy? Sure. So psychedelic therapy is uh, a treatment or a process by which we pair different cognitive therapy approaches uh, with psychedelic molecules such as ketamine, uh, which is legal and approved in Canada and the U.S., psilocybin, uh, the active ingredient in, in magic mushrooms uh, from a street name perspective, MDMA, and, and other classic psychedelics. And the results we see from pairing therapy with these molecules is, is absolutely profound. So how did we get here? I mean, you know, the psychedelics have been around a long time. You know, how did how did we end up deciding or figuring out that this might actually be a way to treat people who are suffering from mental illnesses? What's really interesting is, in fact, in the 50s and 60s, when research in earnest started on psychedelics such as psilocybin and LSD, uh, the research was focused on the mental health applications oh. of, of psychedelics. It was focused on addiction and, and, and depression. In fact, LSD was one of the most studied molecules of the 50s and 60s with thousands of papers being published on it. Um, but what happened is it's left the lab, so to speak, and, and became part of mainstream culture and created the hippie movement and the counterculture, which created a political backlash. And, and then research uh, on these drugs really dried up in the early 70s followed, following the, them being added to Schedule 1 in the U.S. and then subsequently. What has rebirthed the interest in psychedelic therapies is, is a couple of things. First of all, we're in the midst of a global mental health crisis. The number of people being diagnosed with depression and anxiety is in the hundreds of millions of people worldwide. It's estimated that 
close to one in five people will experience a clinically diagnosable episode of depression or anxiety at some point in their lives. And our current treatment options are just not very effective at it. So we have this really significant unmet need. And then what happened is about 15 years ago, or 20 years ago, researchers noticed that ketamine, which is approved in Canada and the U.S. as an anesthetic, seemed to be correlated with really positive mental health, out- mental health outcomes for patients who had received ketamine as an anesthetic. And research started in earnest around ketamine, ultimately leading to uh, Dr. Tom Insel, who used to be the director of the National Institute of Mental Health, in the U.S. declaring that it's the most significant depression treatment we have in decades. Uh, On the back of that, as well as some other pioneering research around psilocybin, uh, which have all shown just incredible, incredible results in terms of treating depression and PTSD and other mental health challenges, has led to the renaissance that we're experiencing right now. Well, let's talk about this, because I I think that, yes, we've all heard of these antidepressant drugs and, and therapies, you know, pharmaceutical style. Let's talk about the benefits and maybe the differences that people might experience on the psychedelic therapy versus the antidepressants we get over the counter. Sure. So the primary consideration, I think, is A, the efficacy. So there are studies suggesting that a single psilocybin-assisted therapy session, so we're talking about one afternoon uh, with a therapist or two therapists and, and psilocybin, can provide antidepressant effects for up to five years or longer. Uh, There are studies suggesting that three MDMA-assisted therapy sessions over the course of about a month uh, can effectively cure people with chronic severe PTSD. Up to 70% of people, these studies are, are suggesting, can be effectively cured from PTSD in three episodes. When you compare that to current treatment options, which is a, a daily pill, uh, an SSRI or an SNRI or other antidepressants, which tend to have pretty significant side effects, whether it be you know just feeling low or anxiety or suicidal ideation. And, and truthfully, when you look at the numbers, antidepressants don't work for the vast majority of people. Close to three quarters of people who start antidepressants stop within six months, typically because the side effects are so severe. And those who do power through tend to see improvements, but they tend to be fairly limited. When you, when you compare the two options, it, at least from my perspective, it seems that the, the psychedelic-assisted therapies are, are much more preferable because they're episodic, they're not daily. The side effects are very limited, whereas the side effects associated with conventional antidepressants tend to be pretty severe for a lot of people. And the benefits seem to be overwhelmingly positive. So what in, is Canada's role then, Ronan, in shaping the psychedelic drug therapy industry as we try to move forward? forward and get these maybe approved or used more often. Yeah, absolutely. So Canada's history with psychedelics is actually pretty significant. A lot of the key research uh, in the 50s and 60s actually happened in, in Canada. In fact, there was a Canadian who came up with a term psychedelic for these class of drugs. Um, more recently, what we see happening is a lot of Companies, some in Canada for sure, but also international companies, are, are accessing the Canadian capital markets um, 
to raise capital to fund their research. Certainly, Field Trip is, is a Canadian-born and bred company, and, and we're now listed on the TSX. Uh, but you see a number of others accessing Canadian capital markets as well. I think in part because of our experience through cannabis, the Canadian capital markets are just really receptive and interested uh, in, in these kinds of projects. But we also see universities like the University of Toronto, uh, Queen's University, and a number of other institutions across Canada setting up programs to study psychedelic molecules. It's certainly not limited to Canada. You know, Harvard, uh, which is where a lot of the psychedelic uh, interest started in the 60s, has now reinitiated a psychedelic program. Yale, Princeton, University of uh, uh, California. Uh, it, it really is a global effort that's happening right now, and, and Canada certainly at the forefront of it. That's great. Very interesting. And, you know, we're at the forefront, as you mentioned. Let's talk about any perhaps uh, drawbacks of psychedelic therapy. Is it, is it for everyone? So far, the research suggests that psychedelic therapies are, are very safe. You know, if you went to high school, when I went to high school, you probably learned about all the dangers around psychedelics. Uh, and, and the truth is, is that a lot of that seemed to be significantly overblown or exaggerated. As with any drug, there are always some attendant risks. But for example, with psilocybin, it's virtually impossible to overdose. Um, it's virtually impossible to get addicted to psilocybin. In mm. fact, it's anti-addictive and can help people get off other addictions like alcohol uh, abuse disorder, uh, tobacco use disorder, uh, and other sorts of things. The real risk associated with psychedelic therapies is that someone has a challenging psychedelic experience, the so-called bad trip. Um, but what the evidence suggests, and I can't say this with certainty, but what the current evidence suggests is that there's no such thing as a bad trip per se, they're only challenging experiences and easy experiences. Challenging experiences can actually lead to the most significant therapeutic outcomes if properly supported. If not properly supported, then it can become its own traumatic incident and, and lead to negative outcomes. But by and large, uh, the safety around psychedelic molecules is, is quite high. And in fact, beyond the antidepressant, anti-anxiety and PTSD mediating effects of psychedelics, there's also these positive side effects where people report increased empathy, increased creativity, more regard for the planet. These are, it's really quite remarkable. I don't want to suggest they're a panacea, but mm -hmm. it really is quite, quite optimistic what we're seeing with psychedelics. And of course, anybody should speak to their doctor about that. It is National Psychotherapy Day tomorrow. Thank you so much. Really fascinating information, Ronan. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. Ronan Levy is the executive chairman of Field Trip Health. And with the latest news relating to COVID-19 and everything else happening south of the border in the United States, we turn, of course, at this time every Friday to our friend Global News, Jackson Prosco. He's our Washington Bureau Chief for Global. Good morning, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. So can you give us an update on the state of affairs in terms of COVID numbers in the U.S. right now? Yeah, the good news, I guess, is that things have uh, plateaued. They're even starting to decline in terms of the number of daily cases. But the number of deaths uh, has skyrocketed to levels not seen since uh, the, the late winter, early spring. Uh, yesterday, there were more than 3,200 deaths in this country from COVID-19. So really just a, a terrible, grim situation that could have been avoided. Any hot spots or are these cases fairly spread out across the country at this point? 
No, as we know, this never really uh, unfolds uniformly. So Florida and Texas, which had been sort of the hotspots for new cases, have started to see things decline. And now it's the Pacific Northwest and places like West Virginia where cases are really starting to uh, accelerate at a rapid pace. Uh, in Idaho, for example, they've implemented crisis care standards, which means that uh, they're having to make tough decisions about who might actually receive treatment based on available beds. And there aren't many available beds right now. Uh, Jackson, saw this morning, and we're talking about booster shots here in Canada as well, but the CDC director recommending Pfizer booster shots include people at risk because of their jobs, which overrules her own agency's advisors. What's the latest on that? Yeah, it overrules the uh, advisory panel to the CDC, but it's actually in line with what the FDA had recommended. And essentially, the feeling is that uh, the Delta variant is so contagious, and we're seeing these reports of breakthrough infections, uh, that with concerns about waning efficacy of the vaccine, that it only makes sense to make uh, the vaccine available to people in healthcare settings, to teachers, to grocery store workers, uh, if they feel that they need it. And I think one thing to keep in mind here, and this is where Canada and the U.S. are a bit different, is there's a lot of research underway right now into who did it better when it came to the initial vaccine rollout. Of course, here in the U.S., everyone got their doses spaced three weeks apart. In Canada, I don't have to tell you, it was a, a, a bigger wait between doses. And there's some suggestion that perhaps the Canadian way may have actually paid off in terms of more durable immunity. That's something that's being studied. That could also, though, result in perhaps a different path when it comes to boosters for sort of broad segments of the population in both countries. And, uh, you know, Jackson, when we talk about, you know, still on the COVID topic of travel restrictions, we know that Americans can come with the proof of vaccinations or the tests, uh, you know, with a limited time uh, or a, a specific amount of time beforehand into our country. Still have some restrictions up for Canadians, though, into the U.S., right? That's right. So the U.S. border, the land border, is still closed to non-essential travel. So that means that while Americans can drive into Canada, Canadians cannot drive into the U.S. Of course, you can still fly into the U.S. as long as you have a proof of a negative test. Uh, and it doesn't seem like things are going to be changing anytime soon. And, you know, I've been talking to lots of experts about why they think that is, why the land border remains sort of a, a sticky point here. And there is no clear, concise answer. But I think one thing that stands out is that the U.S. is likely to implement a uniform policy at both its northern and southern borders. And of course, we know things are not great at the U.S. border with Mexico right now, and that could be delaying things at the border with Canada. Jackson, let's talk about a couple of presidents, one former in a moment, but one current as well. Shrinking popularity rates for President Joe Biden. What's behind the numbers? Yeah, his numbers have absolutely plummeted here. And I think it's the convergence of multiple crises all at once. Of course, you've got the crisis at the southern border that I just mentioned. You've got the resurgence of the pandemic. Uh, you've got all sorts of these factors coming into play all at once. Even the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, they've really hurt his numbers. He's down about 13 points. He's underwater. He is more unpopular than he is popular at this point. And I think a lot of Democrats are getting worried about uh, their chances in the 2022 midterm elections. Can they turn things around. Some are increasingly resigned to the idea that they're going to lose uh, both the House and the Senate in the uh, congressional elections in 2022. So uh, it's something to watch. And I think uh, Biden is trying to turn things around. But Democrats may have to act while they still have uh, power in all three levels of government. Uh, you know, some not so good news coming out of Memphis, Tennessee yesterday. Another mass shooting and reports now saying one killed 
and 12 to 13 wounded. Uh, what is the latest on this shooting in Memphis that, that, that you have for us? Yeah, yeah, you know, they're still trying to uh, flush out details of it. It sounds like it may have been a disgruntled ex-employee, which, of course, is a, a situation that's all too familiar in these uh, these types of shootings in the U.S. Uh, but I have to tell you that the homicide rate and level of gun violence in this country uh, is just absolutely out of control right now. Here in Washington, D.C., for example, which has a population about half the size of Calgary, we've had 11 mass shootings so far this year. That's where four or more people have been shot wow. or killed. Wow. Um, well, that's, a, that's a shocking number. Let's go back to uh, an, another bit of news I just saw coming out of the uh, National Post this morning in terms of Donald Trump. And uh, it was looks like it was a, a Republican-ordered review of the election, and it shows that uh, Trump was not cheated out of his victory, or his he didn't win the victory, and he was not cheated in that case in Arizona. Do you have the latest on that by any chance? Yeah, so this is the election audit that Republicans in Arizona ordered in one specific county, thinking that it would uncover some sort of a massive electoral fraud. It didn't. And in fact, despite using uh, all sorts of strange tactics, including unheard of cybersecurity firms that have been discredited for their tactics, they found nothing except potentially a few dozen more votes for Joe Biden. In other words, no proof of widespread electoral fraud or anything that would change the outcome of the election. That may not matter much to Trump and his Republican allies, though really what they're trying to do is send a message to Americans that, oh, maybe you can't trust the sanctity of our elections. You have to be suspect of everything. And of course, that is teeing up the increasing likelihood that Trump will run again in 2024 and win or lose. He will likely set the stage to claim that the election was stolen from him, no matter the outcome. That's what's unfolding here. It's about to happen in Texas, in Pennsylvania. They are making this an all-50-state play. Donald Trump, uh, you know, still also making headlines uh, for uh, going to court. He's suing his niece, Mary Trump, as well taking aim at New York Times reporters over the disclosure of tax documents. Uh, Do you think that this will be going anywhere? What are you hearing as far as, uh, I think it's $100 million that he's suing his own niece for? Yeah, I'm not sure where this is all going to be end up to, uh, going to end up to be perfectly honest. There are so many sort of concurrent investigations and lawsuits here uh, underway that it may just be a, a distraction at this point. But certainly Trump has fought long and hard to keep his taxes secret uh, for some reason, breaking with the tradition of other U.S. presidents and vice presidents who openly disclose their tax returns and business interests before assuming office. Trump has never done that, never said why, other than claiming that they're under audit and can't be uh, released, which, of course, we know is uh, not any sort of legal standing. Uh, We should also point out, though, in the Trump legal realm, uh, that four close associates of former President Trump, including his former chief of staff and his former advisor, Steve Bannon, have all been subpoenaed now by Congress in the January 6th inquiry. And that sort of marks uh, the really the ramp up of that investigation. Well, thank you very much for the update, Jackson. Stay safe and have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Appreciate it. That is Jackson Prosco, of course, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. And on Saturday, Calgarians with their eyes on our downtown skyline will get a real treat. It's the opening weekend of the Calgary International Film Festival, of course. And at Eau Claire Market, Calgarians will also get to meet David. To explain, we're joined this morning by Jennifer Martin, Interim CEO of Beakerhead. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning. Love that SIF and Beakerhead are teaming up on this. So who, or should I say what, exactly is David? Ah, so David is North America's largest marionette. Um, picture something like a big wire sculpture of a human. He's 34 feet tall and fully articulated like a marionette. So the hands move, the feet, the head, the arms. And what David will be doing is climbing Oxford Properties' Devon Tower. Okay, that sounds absolutely fantastic and stunning. 
question to how something like this works as far as the technical aspects. How, do, how does who, who marionettes David to do, to do this? <laughs> right. Well, um, he was designed and thought out by a group called uh, Underground Circus in Vancouver, so he's a good Canadian idea too. <laughs> and picture, if you will, um, the kind of technology where at the top of towers they they send over the swing stages to clean the windows. Mm-hmm. So all of that engineering, uh, and then we've amped it up some. The engineers and the artists work very closely together to make sure everything works. And then it's puppeteering. So it's cables um, and ropes, but no motors. And people will be making him move and climb all the way up. How big is David? How long is this expected to take to get up to the top of the building? Yeah, well, he's 34 feet tall, cool. and there are 39 stories for him to climb. So um, between 7 and 10 in the evening, he'll be making that climb. So it's not like he's racing up there. We <laughs> want people to be able to enjoy it. So it'll be all lit up, I'm assuming, then? And it'll kind of like a sh- it'll really be a show, won't it? Absolutely. So the cool thing is you'll be able to see it from many, many aspects, um, not just down at the ground if you want to come and see it from the, the area just south of the Eau Claire Market, but you could probably see it from the bluffs just above the Central, uh, Central Street Bridge as well. Wow, incredible. Cool. So this is this is a collaboration. How did it come together? Because, you know, you got two great Calgary institutions. How were discussions and, and how was it decided that you folks would do something like this? Well, you know, we've, we've certainly had to move and shift and, and times have been interesting, uh, to say the least, and what kind of present speaker had wanted to have this year. And as we got talking with SIF, we get along really well as, as two small not-for-profits uh, charities in the city. And we started just pinging back and forth ideas. They're already at Oak Claire Market. We knew that we weren't going to be on Princess Island this year. Uh, and we said, you know what, let's, let's see what we can do together. So the really cool thing is while David is climbing, when he's also going to be emoting, if you will, sort of that sense of frustration, joy, you know, determination to get to the top. And in parallel, Sif has put together vignettes of films that will speak to those emotions. So we'll be beaming that onto a big wall on the south side of Eau Claire at the same time. That's really neat. So on top of it just being a very cool demonstration for us all to be able to watch, what's the moral behind it? Well, and I do want to make a point that it's also going to be live streamed. So with drones flying around and capturing the event to lots of levels, so you don't need to come down. You can actually see this on live stream as well. But really, it's, it's about that perseverance. You know, we've we've all been through um, pretty tough times to continue. It's it's not easy, uh, but working together, and this is a collaboration, and, and I think that's really the key message, that we can triumph, we can work hard, but it certainly takes a lot of effort. Saturday night, going to be checking it out, uh, the Devon Tower. If you know the downtown core, it's right there. And again, right tight and close to Eau Claire Market. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Looking forward to keeping our eyes to the sky for David. Wonderful. Thank you. That's Jennifer Martin, interim CEO of Beakerhead. More online at uh, CIFFCalgary.ca and UndergroundCircus.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.